You cannot understand America without understanding the South. It's the fastest growing, youngest, and most diverse part of the country. And Southerners are changing the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the food we eat, and the stories we share. I'm John Hammontree, host of The Reckon Interview, and each week I sit down and talk with some of the South's most interesting thinkers and creators. We talk about how this place shaped them and how they're reshaping the South. So go ahead and subscribe to The Reckon Interview, available wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus wreaks havoc in Alabama and across the world, these are the stories of those seeking to survive the disease and its economic strain. It's just so important to try to put yourself in in, in the shoes of everybody who is suffering either health-wise or financially because it, it's, it's, it's getting us all. You can't lock everything down. You can't stop it. You could just slow it. And now that we've slowed this thing down, the patience for that is, you know, our endurance is, is wearing out. Today, we're going to try something a little different and hear from AL.com opinion writers John Archibald and Kyle Whitmire. They're both world-class columnists who have held their home state accountable for many years. John won the Pulitzer Prize for commentary in 2018. Kyle recently won the 2019 Scripps Howard Award for opinion writing. Here, they talk about the successes and failures of Alabama's government so far during the pandemic, plus the stories currently weighing on their minds related to the ways people in the state are impacted, and what's encouraging them about Alabama's fight against coronavirus right now. John Archibald and Kyle Whitmire, I want to start with the Alabama government's response to coronavirus. Kyle, you wrote a column about Governor Ivey's decision to stand firm with the stay-at-home order as compared to Georgia's to reopen the state. You said that it's a lot harder writing a column about a public official doing something right than someone screwing up the job. Praising Ivey for making decisions driven by data, expertise, prudence, and safety, in your words— And John, your latest column focuses on African-American Alabamians being disproportionately represented in coronavirus deaths and the role the state plays in that trend. No state government will have a perfect response to a crisis, especially one so unprecedented. But how do you two currently measure Alabama's successes and failures so far in the pandemic? Well, you know, uh, I'm sort of in a rare position of A, agreeing with Kyle and B, looking at the state and not having a terrible lot to criticize in terms of how they've handled it. I honestly expected a whole lot worse. You know, initially it looked like everybody was going to roll at the whims of whatever was being said in Washington. But for the most part, I, I think that, that what we've seen from particularly the governor's office of late has been pretty rational and reasoned. Uh, what's going on in the state house today may be another question, but I think one of the things, I mean, the things that bothered me particularly about our disparity and the racial disparity and in, in both sickness and death and those sort of things, which are which are not limited to Alabama, by the way, it's not that it's a result or uh, of anything, you know, we, we're doing now. What it did is expose a lot of the things that that people who followed those sorts of things already knew, and that is uh, the playing field is not level, and uh, many of the political decisions we've made in the past and continue to make make that even worse. Oh, and I think, you know, I've broken what, when we're in the office, we in the office call the Archibald rule, which is be careful when you write anything good about anybody, uh, because they'll turn around and disappoint you. 
No, uh, the, the, the rule is you will find yeah, out later you're a child molester. Yeah, I was going to sanitize it for everybody, but yeah, okay. <laughs> but I mean, so far, KIV, after a really shaky start, has uh, held firm to this. And it's, it's, it's going to be a question of how long she can do that, because there is a tremendous amount of pressure building. I don't think Alabama is reflected in the national polling right now, showing overwhelming support for shelter-in-place orders. There's we're seeing the push not just from protesters here, but from elected leaders, including sheriffs, including some mayors, pressuring her and the State Department of Public Health to de-escalate these controls that they put in place to to try to keep this pandemic in control here. And you know, it, it's it's a real question of how long she's going to be able to withstand that. Already in the legislature this week, we're seeing. Bills coming out of the Senate, which is breaking a deal that the Senate had made with the House when coming back into the session. You know, bills that would strip away the governor's powers to declare a state of emergency longer than two weeks without legislative approval. I think we're going to be seeing more of that. It's it's just going to be harder and harder. But so far, I think the governor has has done a pretty good job. Yeah, the amount of pressure that she's going to face is going to get crazy, I feel like. I mean, you know, you can feel the sort of the momentum building for simply for abandoning what we have attempted to do so far in terms of flattening the curve and that sort of thing. And even as we start to see rates going back up, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if she's able to stand firm on that. Well, I'm trying to cut breaks for our public officials where I could throughout this, because, look, they have a really awful dilemma in front of them, because the problem with the measures that they have at their disposal is the moment that those measures are most effective is going to look premature. And if you take those measures at the right moment and they work, it's going to look like an overreaction. So we can look at our numbers and say, hey, you know, we were supposed to be stacking bodies and in, in, in refrigerator trucks right now. Why didn't all that happen? Well, it's a simple matter of an effect. At least that's the way it seems right now. There's a lot about this disease that we still don't know. But the success of this or the apparent success of this is actually being used now as leverage against public officials who put these measures in place. So, so Cal... I've kind of been out trying to talk to people, regular people more, uh, more than you have. I mean, and you, while you've been working on the political angle, thank goodness for you. But what is it that caused Will Ainsworth and Kay Ivey to swap places? Uh, the answer is, I don't know. So, uh, so Will mean, Ainsworth came Ainsworth out strong early. Out. Right. And Kay Ivey came out sort of weak early. And mm-hmm. then right when the rubber, you know, sort of hit the road, they just change places. I uh, think and have from been there my conversations since. with them, I think Ainsworth's hope was that a really strong, decisive action early would yield quick results. And that's just not how this disease works. You know, the, the idea being if everybody stays in their home, like doesn't even go out for three weeks, they can't transmit it to anybody and the thing should die out. Well, that's Look, people do have to leave their homes. They do have to go to the grocery stores. Essential workers do have to move around. You can't lock everything down. You can't stop it. You could just slow it. And now that we've slowed this thing down, the patience for that is, you know, our endurance is, is wearing out. 
I, I, I keep thinking back to my stepbrother used to run track and his track coach was, you know, talking to him about this one kid that was your head of him that was running a long race. He said, now watch him, Bear's about to jump on his back because, you know, all of his, his energy stores were about to give out. And sure enough, that kid just, his pace fell off in seconds. And I feel like that's where we are right now as a state and maybe as a country that this just feels like it's going to break us. John, your new series, Archibald's Alabama Diary, seeks stories from those in the state that you say can change the world and the view of it. It's a really powerful series full of hopeful and sobering accounts from people who are directly impacted by this. And, and Kyle, you continue to hold Alabama politicians accountable through all this. While praising Ivy when you feel she deserves it, you remain critical of others like Attorney General Steve Marshall for bullying Birmingham, and you've both written critical columns about Secretary of State John Merrill as it relates to absentee voting during the pandemic. And you're both obviously very careful about what you write and determining which stories matter to your readers. So my question is, what are the stories on your mind today, right now? What's truly weighing on you, whether you're currently writing about it or not, as it relates to ways the people of this state are impacted in ways seen and unseen by everybody. This is probably the least sexy thing that I could talk about or write about, but it's it's just data. And I have a big question on my mind of whether the data that we, we have to work with right now is good or if it's just garbage in and garbage out. You know, there's a lot of, as I said, there's a lot about this disease that we don't yet know. And I, I'm I'm kind of baffled that it's taken so long, and we still don't know what the real mortality rate of this disease is. There's a question out there about how many asymptomatic people are walking around who have this disease, don't know it, and might never know it. And that ratio matters because it really, really, you can't make a decision of whether to end these protective orders without knowing the answer to that. If the mortality rate is two-tenths of a percent and we're seeing the rates of death that we're seeing right now, it might make more sense to open things up and go ahead and get to that you know, herd immunity that everyone keeps talking about. If the mortality rate is 2%, it makes more sense for everybody to stay where they are. And even on the state level, it's unclear right now whether we're accounting for all the deaths. Uh, we still have a problem with testing that has not been solved. Contact tracing is still like way down on our to-do list. And there's, you know, so some, uh, I'll just use the imprecise term of strangeness in the state's numbers for how many tests have been administered and what those tests have said. And without that, I just don't know that we can do anything other than make a wild guess at what our policy should look like. And that's scary. Because, I mean, it's, it's gambling with people's lives. You know, the thing that has struck me more than anything else is, you know, we tend to look at this from political points of view or from a government versus, you know, regular people point of view or from, a, you know, people who want to stay in or people who want to go out. And the thing that struck me in talking to so many people is, you know, we tend, you know, in our states of isolation to kind of assume that we know 
that we're in some kind of shared experience because we're all, you know, conducting business by Zoom or Teams or whatever it is and talking on the phone and and we're out of our routine. But what strikes me most is the myriad ways in which people are feeling this and in which they're being hurt by it. But mentally, the stress is incredible. People are really worried about their livelihoods and lots and lots of ways and people who are having to work are worried about their health in lots and lots of ways and people who are fortunate enough enough to be able to stay home and not worry about their income can get bored they have the luxury of being bored until you know they have a medical crisis of their own I talked to someone yesterday a couple of days ago who you know was uh just diagnosed with myasthenia gravis right before this and losing his eyesight and can't get make the appointments and another person has can't i mean the thing the every way in which a person can ordinarily have a roadblock in life is just exacerbated to no end in this environment and and so it's really tough and then to start talking about you know throwing your hands up in the air and saying oh well it didn't work let's just get back to business um has people with immune compromises uh, just up in arms so the thing that strikes me most of all and it, and it and it plays into the whole racial disparity angle is it's just so important to try to put yourself in in, in the shoes of everybody who is suffering uh, either health-wise or financially because it, it's 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 getting us all I want to know what's encouraging you both right now. It looked like Alabama was making progress thanks to mitigation and the stay-at-home order. There seemed to be flattening, but we're obviously seeing numbers spike in several parts of the state, a lot of what you guys just talked about. So any light that we noticed at the end of the tunnel, as far away as it was, it might seem dimmer for people hoping to return to quote-unquote normal whenever a version of that day comes. So what's keeping you encouraged about Alabama and the pandemic? Well, for me, it's the same thing that it always does. I mean, and I have a tendency to, uh, you know, throughout my career to get jaded and disillusioned a little bit with yeah. how things tend to be, whether that's politically or with hatred or, or whatever that we've seen in the past. The, the only solution to that is to talk to people, real people who, you know, more often than not will will surprise you individually even if they disappoint you collectively and, and, and talking to so many people about how they've tried to help and whether that's volunteering or whether it's going out and helping their neighbors who are sick or, or putting up signs that offer people cheer or making masks, taking people to the doctor, the number of people that I've come across who have, without any desire for recognition, tried to do something nice for other people. It's the thing that always gives me hope, and it gives me hope in this environment, too. You know, right now, everybody's only communication with each other is electronically. It's sometimes hard to see that because it's easier to see the goodness in a real person doing real things in a real moment you did not expect to have. And so it's harder now, but those people are still there. Uh, To the extent that I have any hope, I'm going to be a bit more jaded than John. It's it's that old Alabama joke that when the world ends, you want to be here because everything here happens last. There's some advantage. I mean, there's not some. There's definitely advantage right now for two things that we've seen happen. One are major cities like New York and Detroit and even New Orleans 
getting hit by this first. So we were able to take action just a little bit earlier and save ourselves from seeing hospitals overrun like those places saw. And now we're seeing states around us, including you know Georgia, lift their restrictions much earlier than us. And if he, you know, just just wait a little bit, wait two weeks, three weeks, and watch what's happening there. I think the trade-off there is 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 a good one, even though it's it's still going to stretch out that pinch on businesses and employers and on people depending on those paychecks. It is going to allow us to, you know, we don't have to walk point on this. We don't have to be the first one to take that gamble. And if we start seeing cases rise in Georgia, we'd know better than to lift all those restrictions as Georgia has. So I think Kay Ivey is playing safe. She's playing it smart, even with a lot of people pushing back on her or pushing her to to go faster. I think for the first time that I can remember, we have a, a, what appears to be a pretty good leader in the, in the governor's office, perhaps a, a better governor than our, our neighbor to the east. John Archibald, Kyle Whitmire, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Be safe. If you or anyone you know is affected by the coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.